If you have them in front of you, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, this is after the resurrection of Christ. This is after the Spirit has descended upon the New Testament church. And things are beginning to get quite wild. Uh, And so we come to our text here in Acts chapter 5 with very unhappy religious leaders. And we are going to see how they react to the gospel spreading in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. So we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some in the present case. I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Lord, we come now to your word to hear from you. We thank you for what we just read. And as we hear you speak to us now, give us a heart that longs to hear from you and pays close attention to all that you are about to say. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
After Jesus left, he gave his church, that includes you here, a great commission. The great commission is to go out into all the world, preaching and teaching, baptizing and making disciples of every nation. And sometimes, as the local church, we think that that is only for missionaries that go global. But there is a global and a local aspect to the Great Commission. And so whether you are going to be going overseas, whether you are here serving in the local church, the commission that Jesus gives, which we see in Acts 5, the apostles applying and expanding and, and making real, also applies to you. And when we see the apostles here in this text, we see three specific ways that we are to declare this great commission. The three ways are that we are to do it persistently, that we are to do it confidently, and we are to do it joyfully. So persistently, confidently, and joyfully. And the command that Jesus gives has not been finished. Which means that each of us still have a task that we have to complete. And so the call from this particular text to you is to strive to finish the unfinished task. And to do it persistently, confidently, and joyfully. Let's look at the first one here. How do we see this idea of persistently finishing the great task from Acts chapter 5? Well, let's look here in verse 28. In verse 28, the Sanhedrin are speaking to the apostles and they say the following, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You see, this is not the first time that the the apostles have been brought in. If we look later in the text, we can see that this has been a mounting issue. Here in in chapter... In verse 12, we see that the apostles are are performing signs and miracles and wonders, that, that there are people that are literally just seeking to bring out the sick and hope that Peter's very own shadow falls upon them so that they could be healed. So these great miracle and miracles are being performed, and people are seeing astounding things. And these guys are fed up. This is completely opposite. To the, to the rigid laws, rigid laws and the regulations that the Sanhedrin and all the Jews were used to. This was completely backwards. And what they do then is they decide, well, we've got to get these guys off the street. We've got to stop them doing the crazy things that they're out there doing. And we see this in verse 17, but the high priest rose and all who were with him, filled with jealousy... They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. They weren't sure necessarily what they were going to do yet, but they knew they needed to get them off the streets because they were causing problems for the local religious leaders. 
But yet, in chapter nine, in verse 19, we see that they weren't in there for very long, were they? Because in verse 19, it says, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And then what did they go do? Verse 20, They were commanded to go and stand in the temple, which is what they were doing before they got imprisoned. They were commanded to go back and do that and to speak all the words of this life. In other words, to, to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ. There they were. And then we come to verse 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent people to the prison to pull out the guys they had just arrested. In verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And then verse 25, and someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. They were, they were put in prison. They were released. The Sanhedrin come out wondering, where are these people? They were back doing the very thing for which they were in prison in the first place. Now you understand why they're a headache for the local religious leaders. They're, they're really fed up with these people. What, what are you doing here? And now they... They do this. They're, they're a bit afraid because, first of all, they don't know how they got out. It was locked. There were guards there. It's a miraculous miracle that these men escaped. So they are afraid when they pull them back. Say, bring them here. Yet they're doing it with fear. And then we come to verse 27. They were there before the high council yet again. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Again and again, whenever the apostles were told not to do this, this being the preaching, the teaching of the Word of God, what were they found doing? The very thing they were told not to do. And even though they were imprisoned, the Lord sends an angel to release them, and here they are again. One, and the high priest and the religious leaders are wondering, what on earth do we do with these men? Because the Sanhedrin wanted to squash these rebels, these rebel leaders that had sprung up, this sect of Jewish leaders that they didn't know quite what to do with. But they did know to silence them, to beat them, to imprison them, was the only way it seemed to squash them. But it was failing miserably. And their response when they were questioned, why, why are you guys still doing this? Why are you guys... Caught? I mean, picture this for a second. I, it's like a headache in the religious leaders. Like, why are you doing this? You're, this is so ridiculous. 
I'm really fed up with it. What do they do? Why? What is their response? We must obey God rather than men. It didn't matter what the religious leaders had to say. It didn't matter whether they were beat, whether they were imprisoned. They were given a commission, and they knew that despite the hardship, they were to persist in that commission and in that command that God had given to them. Even when it made other people angry. Even when they were hated by the people in their own families. They still did it. If you've ever seen a stonecutter, you'll, you'll see him knocking on the, the stone with his hammer multiple times. Maybe a hundred times, maybe fifty, depending on the strength of the man. But when you see that rock crack, you know it's not because of the last hammer that fell, but it was every single one of those blows combined that caused the rock to break. And so it is with the kingdom of God. It's all of these little things. It's not just the big, powerful, amazing things that you can think of. It's all the little stuff. It's all the little cracks in the rock. And each one of you in participating in the Great Commission are creating the little cracks in the rock until it eventually breaks. Like the apostles, though, in the process of doing that, however, you might experience others trying to silence you. When you tell people like the apostles did here that there is no other name in heaven by which man can be saved. You'll say, that's not true. That's, that's good for you. That's nice for you. That's, if you want to believe that, that's okay. But don't bring that to the workplace here. Don't bring that in my social circle. I don't want to hear any of that garbage. None of that belongs here. So perhaps you are experiencing some of that. Continue, as the apostles did, to declare the exclusivity of the gospel. When you make others angry in your social circles, like the apostles did here in this text, they made them angry. What was the response? We are to obey God rather than men. So, When you get that, fear God and obey God. And let that obedience drive you to overcome your fear of others. So you're to strive to finish this unfinished task, this commission that God has given to the church, the local church, the global church. And you are to do it persistently. But not only are you to do it persistently, but you are to do it confidently. Look at verse 38 to 39 with me. So in the present case, I tell you, this is Gamaliel speaking to the Sanhedrin council. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. 
For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. What a powerful statement. That these men are unstoppable. And the commission and the command that they are given, the works that they are doing, regardless of whether governments and religious leaders rise up against them, this man here, Gamaliel, has it right. No one will be able to thwart the plans of the powerful and almighty God of the universe if He is behind them. What great confidence then you and I can have as we minister to other people and we engage in the local and global ministries of this denomination. What confidence that that can give us. That even if you were to die in the process of sharing the gospel, that it will still continue. Because there are people that have been martyred for the good news of the gospel, and yet the church has not been stifled because it has grown more powerfully through that persecution. Just look at the church in China. There are churches being burned, and yet the believers are growing from the ground up because this kingdom of God cannot be thwarted, because the people of God cannot be stopped. And ultimately, it is because Christ could not be stopped. They brought him in, they They said, we would rather have Jesus of Nazareth slaughtered than the other man, even though he was clearly a criminal. Let's whip him. Let's beat him. Let's let's put a thorn on his head. Let's crucify him, they cried. Crucify him. Three days he was in that grave. There was a stone that was laid over the tomb of Christ with guards that were there. And three days later, that stone was rolled aside. And the glorious King Jesus rises forth victorious with the keys of death and Hades in his hands. This is the King that you declare in whose kingdom you are seeking to advance. And if they could not stop Him, and they could not stop the apostles, then they cannot stop you either. Do you believe that? Acts 2.22 Jesus of Nazareth was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. All of the disciples had left. Christ. They thought, all right, this was this is it. They weren't looking for him to come back. And yet he did. 
And all of these men, the 12 who followed Jesus other than Judas, all died absolutely gruesome deaths. One was even hung upside down and crucified. And yet, throughout all of church history, throughout all of this book that we see here, this good news, this glorious Word of God, the church has expanded to all four corners of the earth. But maybe you don't really believe it. Maybe this is just a little too overwhelming for you. Well, it was for the apostles as well. Because in Acts chapter 4, in verse 23 and following, all of this trouble that was coming against this early church, this misfit band of believers, these rebels of the Jewish sect, they were, they were afraid. And so they came together, and what did they do? They, they prayed for boldness because they knew they would, they would need it. You can do the same. And you can do it with each other. You don't have, you are not in this task on your own. You are doing it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So pray with each other if you lack boldness. You can grow in confidence of sharing the gospel with others simply by doing it. And I invite any one of you to come with me, to come and go to the streets, to go. You can invite me with you to your friends. If you just want to see what that is like, you're welcome to invite me along. I'm happy to do it. Expose yourself to these things. You grow in confidence through the very act of doing them. So strive to finish this unfinished task, this great commission, locally and globally. Do it persistently, confidently, But not only are you to do it persistently and confidently, but you are also supposed to do it joyfully. Look here at verses 40 to 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were kind of worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In our American society, the very concept of suffering is backwards. If you're an American, it's life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Those three things, where is suffering? It's not there. You see, we see suffering as a major inconvenience. We see trials as a major inconvenience. Our very culture, progressively, when things get difficult, what do they do? Simply give up. Find something easier. Something that's 
a little more up your alley that you know you can accomplish. Yet here we see that suffering is the very part, it's embedded in the nature of being a disciple of Christ. And even, even though this suffering is in various levels, in America we are, we are privileged by not having to worry about someone coming to the doorstep of this church with AK-47s, but there are other, the other churches where that is the case. So there are varying degrees of suffering that occur both locally and globally. But in John 15, 20, Jesus says this to his disciples, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But here, this, in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Through suffering, there is a reward. If you've ever been through a pregnancy before, and I'm so grateful I've not, you understand this concept of rejoicing in the midst of suffering. For nine months, maybe even before that, there's a lot of just weird stuff that occur. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of the husband under, not really understanding his wife or the weird mood things that she's going through all of a sudden. And the excruciating agony on that day when the child is birthed, and sometimes for many days, excruciating agony and suffering. But when you hold your child in your hands, and you look and you gaze upon their face, do you not understand that you can rejoice in the suffering? Because you are seeing the birth of a, of a new life. And it is beautiful and it is worth all the suffering that you had to go through. Because you've done it, some of you have done it multiple times. You've put yourself through that pain many times. And each time there is rejoicing, each time there is, there is praise that is given to God as this new life comes into being. And in the ministry of the church here, locally, and in the ministry of the church globally, you will experience pain. You will experience suffering on varying degrees and levels. But you are able both through that suffering and after that suffering, 
by God's grace to look back and to say it is totally and absolutely worth it because you see people come into the kingdom of God and you rejoice exceedingly in the midst of your pain because you say it is totally and completely worth it. And some of you are waiting. Some of you are waiting for that new life. That person, that family member, that friend of yours, that co-worker to come. Wait just a little bit longer. Trust God in what He is doing. And rejoice in the midst of that suffering even when the tears come to your eyes. Because eventually, it will all be totally and completely worth it. So you must serve Christ joyfully. Psalm 100 even states that, Sing to the Lord with gladness, serve Him with gladness. Do you? You are appointed by God to serve as Christ's ambassador. You are His voice to the nations. You are His voice to to the people in your social circles. You are given the privilege and the honor to be the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords, mouthpiece to them. Do you... Do so faithfully. You can remain steadfast in the work of the kingdom because as you do it, God promises to you that this work that you are doing is not in vain. Even though sometimes, and some of you in this room are still waiting to see the fruits of your labors. Do you believe that eventually, as the psalm talks about, those who sow in tears will reap with joy at the time of harvest? Do you believe that? Think about this. I pulled a list from the back, which is why I left out a little bit ago. All the ministries of this church right here the adult Sunday school, the audio-visual team, the people who lead Bible studies, both during the summer and then during the school year, the college and career ministries, the decorating ministry, the ESL classes, the fellowship activities and the hospitality, the friendship studies, the, the high school, the ministry to those who are in high school, the Ironman ministry, the, the missions, the the, the, uh, the people who are serving to help expand the gospel. People who serve in the nursery here. The presenters, those who come and lend their beautiful voices so that we can sing as a people of God. The senior luncheons. The women's ministry. And the youth Sunday schools. You parents who have children, your ministries to them, your ministries to the people in your life who you've been speaking to for a while, 
friends and family, your labors are not in vain. And you can rejoice when you don't see fruit immediately because you know that God will eventually establish the work of your hands and you will see fruit. That should fill us with joy. That should fill us with wonder. That we get to the privilege and honor to be involved in the local church to expand this unstoppable kingdom of God. But to you in this room, who are not a child of God, and only you know, I want you to listen to this warning. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. If you are living persistently, confidently, and joyfully in the lifestyles characterized by those verses, you should have no confidence that you are part of this unstoppable kingdom. But you can be if you run to the open arms of the Father, where you can receive grace and love. To you who are in this room, who are a child of God, listen to this encouragement. We are all afraid of sharing the gospel. To varying levels and degrees, we all have different experience, and it looks different depending on the kinds of ministries that we're involved in. We're afraid of rejection, we're afraid of confrontation, we're afraid of suffering. But in Acts 4, in verse 13, there was this note that was made. The people were astounded because they looked upon these men that were there. And they said, lo, these men are uneducated. They're commoners, they're lowly people. And they were astounded because of what they were doing and the power that was being manifested through their ministry. And if you feel like that, I'm just a commoner. I'm uneducated. I don't know anything. I, that's okay. Because the Lord is delighted to use you. Are you willing 
to let him. Do not let the, fa- the, the shame that you feel in your social circles stop you from sharing this good news. Because in Christ, as you faithfully do these things, you are unstoppable. So you are to strive to finish the unfinished task. You are to do it persistently. You are to do it confidently. And you are to do it joyfully. And expect that as you do that, look for the wonders that God will do through you. This is an unfinished task, which means we're not done. We need to get back to work. Father, we thank you for this encouragement that you've given to us as we behold the ministry of the apostles here in Acts 4 and Acts 5, and we see them. These are commoners. These are uneducated men, and yet you are using them to bring healing. You are using them to add numbers to your expanding church. And despite all the suffering, despite all the hardship, your church has been growing and expanding. Lord, we are not confident. Make us confident in you. Make us confident in the Spirit to do these things faithfully, knowing that as we do so, you will establish the work of our hands. Because one day, the earth will be filled with the glory and the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. One day. And that day is coming soon. Work in the ministries of this church to do this very thing to fill the earth with your glory. And that when others rise up against this church and against your church globally, stop them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.